on toxic relationships. And I think we all have them to one extent or another. And last week when we talked about toxic friendships, that sometimes we are in a friendship that can be toxic, or maybe we're the toxic person in the friendship, right? And we talked about how do I become the friend that God wants me to be. This weekend we're going to look at toxic families, because maybe you were raised in a family that was toxic, it was unhealthy, it was, there were some, some bad things going on. And you say, well, what do I do? How do I, how do I grow out of that? How do I develop out of that? Next weekend, we're going to look at toxic work, workspaces. Uh, um, most of you, you know, and here's the thing. Uh, and then finally, we'll talk about toxic uh, marriages. But here's the thing. If you are a person on this planet today, you have probably experienced some sort of toxic relationship. It, it was unhealthy in one way, whether it was where you worked, it's your family, it's your marriage, it's your family, uh, it's your uh, friendships. Uh, Somebody has said, and I think it's true, a dysfunctional family is any family with more than one person. <laughs> and that's true. <laughs> so this weekend we're going to look at it. You know, the interesting thing about the Bible and why I think the Bible is true is because the Bible p- puts it as it is. It doesn't sugarcoat. It doesn't put a veneer on its characters. When you see David, you see all of his flaws. When you see the patriarchs, you see all their flaws. And, and we're going to look, I mean, in other words, the point is, if you're looking for toxic families, un, you know, unbalanced, dysfunctional families, just go to the New Old Testament. You'll find there's tons of them. In fact, it's hard to find a normal family. And, and so we're going to look at the, the, the family, a couple, this one family, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. This is on page 31. If you don't have a Bible, there's a chair Bible. There should be one in the chair in front of you. And uh, on page 31 in Genesis chapter 37, I'm going to read the first five verses. And we'll see kind of, we'll see the dysfunction right away. Um, as I read it, you'll, you'll pick it up pretty quick. It's pretty apparent. Uh, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. So Jacob settled around, uh, settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended to his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Here we go. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift for Joseph, (coughs) a beautiful robe. And his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. So favoritism is a family value here, right? This is a very common thing in, in this uh, family. And so Jacob shows favoritism. But the question is, <coughs> not why did he show up, but where did this originate from? Where did this come from? Where, how did Jacob get to a place where he favored Joseph over all the other sons he had? Uh, well, if you, and that's kind of what we want to do. We want to follow this back. We want to see kind of, we want to look at Jacob for a little bit because we're going to see that whether you like it or not, you're a, pattern of, you're a pattern of your past 
there's a, your past has affected you and is affecting you today. Now, it affects you in one of two ways, maybe, maybe more than that. One is you repeat the pattern. One is you say, I'm never going to be like that. Nobody's, I'm going to be the exact opposite. I mean, maybe you go too far and you are the exact opposite, right? And we see that in generations of child uh, <coughs> raising children today, don't we? I mean, I had parents that basically kind of like if I was like five miles away playing with who knows who, they didn't care. That's just the way it was, and maybe you were raised. Today, that wouldn't happen, right? Where are you going? Who are you going to be with, right? It's a whole different thing. So the pendulum has swung. All I'm saying is that when you're raised uh, in a certain uh, type of an atmosphere, uh, you'll either adopt that or you maybe say, this is so sick, I want to change it. And maybe change it uh, and go to the opposite extreme, which could have its pitfalls. But turn to, Gen- turn to page 20, Genesis 25, because we're going to examine how did Isaac get to be where he is, where he's favoring Joseph, all right? Because there's a reason why he's doing what he's doing. <clears throat> Genesis 25, verse 26. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. And the boys grew, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home, <coughs> but Rebekah loved Jacob. So here I have two twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau's born first, Jacob's born second. Their father, Isaac, what did he do? He favored Esau. Why? Because Esau was the outdoorsman. He's the hunter. He's the gatherer. He's the one who could cook the stew that I love so much, right? And so he became daddy's boy, and then Jacob became mama's boy. Now you would say, but wait, 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 time out. If Jacob experienced favoritism, wouldn't it make sense that he would say, I don't want that to be who I am? I said, sometimes we go the opposite. Sometimes we just repeat the pattern. So we have here that here he, here he is, he's being favored. He's not, you know, not being favored by his father. He's being favored by his mother. And Esau's brother's being favored by his father. He's on the outs with his father. And he knows it. So that, this is a problem. And this is where the problem begins. And this is why we're a product of our past. Some of you are raised in good, decent homes. And there's not a lot to correct. Some of you were raised, some of you, you were raised with people who you don't even know who your parents are. And so you, you're kind of saying, okay, I'm <clears throat> not really sure what is right and what is healthy. And, and we'll talk more about that. The point of this is I want you to see is that when parents play favorites, no one wins. And, you know, maybe you're doing that. Maybe you're sitting there now, you're kind of thinking in your head, you know, you're from a larger family. And the joke is that, you know, mom always, you know, wasn't it the, the smothered brothers? Mom always liked you best, right? They always say that. Well, some of you think that. Some of you are jokingly thinking that, but some of you really, that was true. That was true. Uh, but there became a tension between Esau and Jacob, and we're going to see that in a minute. I just want to read the verse, but... Basically, what's going to happen between these two brothers is Jacob is going to steal the birthright from Esau. 
And it, this, so, so this favoritism, this tension that the, that the parents have introduced into the, 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 the family, now the dysfunction has gone to the children, and now these two sons are at war with each other, chapter 27, verse 41. After Jacob steals the blessing, it says, From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing, and Esau became, began to scheme <coughs> about well, taking care of Jacob, his brother, right? Uh, we'll see more of that in a moment. But in, Gen- in Genesis 27, we see kind of how this happened. Because there's another component to all of this. And really, it's the second truth of where dysfunction comes from. Genesis chapter 27. This is on page 21 of your chair Bible. I'm going to read the first uh, eight verses. And we'll see uh, kind of how this blessing was stolen. Now, again, uh, it was very proper for the father to give the firstborn son the blessing. And so <coughs> Isaac is on his deathbed, and he calls Esau in, and we'll read the passage in a minute, and he basically says, go out and make me my stew, and I'm going to put my blessing upon you. And uh, let me read you that passage. One day, when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called Esau, his older son, and said, My son, yes, father, Esau replied, I am old now. I am an old man now, Isaac said. And I don't know when I may die. <coughs> Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing." It belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. Notice, but Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. And so he does. He, he makes the stew. She puts, you can read about it. He, 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 he basically deceives his father and seals the blessing. Esau comes in a little later and he says, I'm here. And he says, who's here? Because <laughs> he's blind, right? Um, he says, well, it's Esau. And he says, no. And he gave, you know, gave the blessing away, right? But here's the thing. This, this shows a long line of dysfunctional behavior in the family. Isaac is old. He desires to give Esau the blessing, his firstborn. Rebekah, his wife, overhears this and plots for Jacob to steal the blessing from Esau. This isn't really a team effort between husband and wife. Right? You see the problem here in this marriage? We got two people who says... He's the best. No, he's the best. And now they're plotting to steal a blessing. They're working against each other. They're pitting the kids against each other. This is not healthy. And that's what happens in dysfunctional relationships. That's what happens in toxic families. The parents pit the kids against one another. It turns into a big battle. And this is not healthy. And so what I'm trying to show you is that that, that building a strong marriage is one of the most critical keys to having a healthy family. If you, if you, here's the thing, your marriage, your relationship between your husband, and your wife, that relationship is absolutely teaching your children something. The question is, what? 
What are you teaching them? Are you belittling one another? Are you speaking positively? Are you supporting one another? Are you loving one another? Are you forgiving one another? Are you sacrificing for one another? If you're not doing that, how do you think your kids are going to figure this out? Right? So if you're doing all these things and, and you're doing this wink, wink, nod, nod thing behind each other's backs in front of your kids, what do you think your kids are learning? How to be dysfunctional. Right? And so this is what's going on. So it's not just, it's not just a father who shows favoritism. It's a wife who basically says, I'm going to get whatever we can get. We're going to go to war here. This is not healthy in, in any stretch of the imagination. So we see that Jacob's dysfunctional family led him to become a dysfunctional father. And just as his father favored one of his sons over the rest, so did he. But there's more going on there. Now, we could stop and we could say, okay, here's the lesson for today. Don't be like Jacob. Don't be like Isaac. Don't be like Rebecca. Right? Don't be like them. Okay, now go and have a good week. Right? (laughs) The question, though, is what's going on with Jacob? Because the, the same thing that's going on with Jacob is the same thing that's going on with us. And we, bet we need to get to the root of what's going on within Jacob. Because there's something going on within Jacob that's causing a lot of these issues. And we're going to see what it is. So let's just keep going. We're, we're following that train. We're trying to see how did Jacob become who he was. Well, we see he didn't have a, a healthy family. and He's repeating those patterns. But there's more going on than that. He's a product of his past, but what was happening within him that caused him to act out in such a dysfunctional way? Turn to Genesis chapter 29, and we're going to see. This is a big part of it, and this is a part that we're going to have to think about for ourselves. And that's really what I want. I want you to think about, where am I in all of this? Okay? So, Genesis chapter 29, verse 16. This is on page 24 of your chair Bible. Now, Laban... (coughs) So Jacob, he basically knows Esau's upset with him. That's putting it mildly. And so he flees. His, his mother says, you need to get out of here. So he gets out of there, and he finds his uncle Laban, and he's going to work for Laban. Okay? He's fleeing. He's getting out of town. Now, Laban had two daughters. The older daughter <coughs> was named Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. There, were no, there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. Mm, yeah. Yeah, she was not a looker. I mean, I think that's essentially what they're saying. You know, she, there wasn't much going on there, you know. But Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Uh, Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you give me Rachel. Your Your younger daughter as my wife. So Jacob worked for seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Now, some of you women are saying, oh, a love story. This, yeah, it would be nice. There's something deeper, darker going on here. And we'll, well, I'll wreck the story for you in a moment. So, finally the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, <coughs> Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So, sounds a little insensitive. 
So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob. Not Rachel, but Leah. And he slept with her. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I've worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? So (coughs) Jacob and uh, Rachel immediately seem like they have a connection. At least he does. (coughs) But it's more than that. He, He had to have her. You see, he's at a point right now where he's saying, I need someone to fill my life. I need somebody to complete me. I need somebody to make me feel significant. I need somebody to make me feel loved. And she's going to do it for me. She's the one. We do the same thing. We say, (coughs) if I can just have him, if I can just have her, if I can just get this job, if I can just get to this level of income, if I can just have this, if I can just get this, if I can just have children who love me, and, and, and if I can just. But Laban, the girl's father, switches the daughters because he knows Leah will have a hard time finding a husband. And so Jacob sleeps with Leah thinking it was Rachel. <coughs> now I know what's going through your mind right now. How in the world do you sleep with the wrong woman? I mean, can you light a candle or something, Right? Uh, I don't know. <coughs> I don't know how this happened. I, I can't explain it. There's an explanation for it, but that's not really the thing in this passage. It's troubling. I don't get it. But it happened. This is what, what happened. But here's the point I want you to see. There's something deeper going on with Jacob. Jacob is essentially saying, I have to have her, because if I don't have her, my life doesn't have meaning. But if I have her, my life will have meaning. It will find meaning. I'll get meaning. I'll have purpose. I'll have everything that I want is in her. But you know what? Every time that you say that about another person, or you say it about a job, or a career, or you say it about having children, these are all good things, nothing wrong with any of them. But if you say, I have to have that, because if I don't have that, my life will be empty. It will be. But if I have him, if I have her, if I have it, then my life will be filled. And you know what happens every time we do that? We wake up, and we see it's Leah. We wake up in the morning and we see it's Leah. Oh, wait. You were supposed to. I don't. It, you're Leah. They get the job, the dream job, and you're in the dream job and it's Leah. You have these kids, these beautiful kids, and they grow up and you go, Leah. Right? That's the point. That's the point. Basically, all your eggs are there. and You say, if I have this, it'll be my life. It'll, this will complete me. And you wake up in the morning, it's Leah. I remember when I was a kid at Christmas time, and I thought, if I just got this toy, if I just got this thing, that would be it, man. And I'd wake up at about 2 o'clock Christmas morning. My mom and dad would say, go back to sleep. <laughs> And don't wake up until 6 o'clock or we're going to give you, you know, a belt or something like that. You know, they threaten. 
And so you get up, and it's like 5.59. You run downstairs, and you, you, you see the package. You open it up. There it is! There it is! And you play with the toy, and you whatever it is. And about uh, 7 o'clock, it's Leah. Some of you go shopping. You say, if I just get this, you get it, and you go, that's Leah. Right? See, there was something going on within Jacob that was putting too much on Rachel. And he woke up with Leah. When we ask people or anything else to be what only God can be, we're going to make that relationship dysfunctional. And they're always going to fail us. They're always going to fail us. And that's what's going on with Jacob in his heart. And that may be what's going on in your heart. If you're not careful, you look at other people and look at things and say, if I just have this, it could be health. could be health. Health is a good thing, right? Then you get health and what happens? So Leah, you go back to your old patterns. Nothing changes. You make promises to God. You say, God, if you just... And then you get health. Turn to Genesis chapter 30, page 24. Because it gets deeper than this. See, what we're trying to do is we're trying to... We started out saying, why why did Jacob favor Joseph? Well, we said, well, he's got this pattern where his father was showing favoritism and he learned it from his parents. But not only that, he's got this deep need within himself and, 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 and that's kind of going on. But then there's a third thing. Notice when Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. She pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I'll die. It may be that Rachel's having her own, uh, I, I have to have children and sons and for women in that day were, were huge. Having children, having sons especially, was absolutely huge for them. And Jacob became furious with Rachel. Am I God, he asked? He's the one who has kept you from having children. So in chapter 29, you can read about it. We don't have time to go there. But Leah's popping children like popcorn. I mean, it's like she's got four children before you know what happened. I mean, she's just kind of in a continual state of pregnancy, you know. I mean, she's just having children one after another. So she has four sons, like boom, 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 right? And, um, and Rachel, poor Rachel, she's barren. And so in that day, what they would do is uh, Rachel had a, a woman who was, was helping her, and Aaliyah had the same. And so Rachel finally gets frustrated. And she says, ah, sleep with my handmaiden. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, Jacob does, and, and the handmaiden has a, a child. And then, so Leah starts not having children. So she says to Jacob, well, you sleep with my handmaiden. So he does, and so they have a child. So here's the point. He, there's 12 sons, right, that come, Jacob has 12 sons. But they're from four women. There's some polygamy, you know, kind of things going on in the sense he's not essentially married. Well, he is married to two. But the point is, <coughs> there's a polygamy going on. Now, I just want to say something about polygamy because I think it's important. Um, the Bible, I want the Bible so badly to say, and they shouldn't have done this and this was wrong and it just destroys families and don't ever do it. And, you know, <laughs> the 21st century comments on it. But it doesn't. The Bible doesn't do it. You know what the Bible does? The Bible lets it play out. 
And then you see the devastation of polygamy. We're seeing it right now. We see what it is when you have a family and then you have four, four different mothers and children by one father. And now the father is going to have a good, essentially he's going, this is why, this is the ultimate reason why he has favoritism. So, so Rachel can't have any children, but Leah has children. So then Rachel says, sleep with my handmaid. He does. And she, and so Leah says, sleep with my handmaid. So he has these children from all these different women. And these these family, this family does not get along well. And the Bible basically doesn't condemn, directly condemn polygamy. Uh, it, it does have references to it. But essentially what it does is it says, just see the effects of polygamy and you'll see the devastation. It's a horrible choice. So Rachel's unable to give Jacob <clears throat> what he desperately wants now because he's married Rachel and he's realized Rachel's it's Leah. So now he thinks, I know what I need. I need a son. <coughs> if I just had a son, if I could just have that one son, that would be it. Genesis chapter 20, uh, 30, verse 22, page 25. Then God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has removed my disgrace, she said, and she named him Joseph. Now we're starting to see why Jacob favored Joseph. Who's Joseph? The favorite son of his favorite wife. He favored, I'm not saying it's right, I'm just saying this is why. So you see what's going on here. He, in his old age, his wife is finally able to have a child, and he has his first son with her, and his name is Joseph. This was his first son with his favorite wife. So you see the dysfunction. So Jacob overloves Joseph and does nothing to help Joseph in his development. And we don't have time to look at it. We could... Joseph is becoming a little brat. He really is. Uh, the phrase that he used when he brings back a bad report, I don't have time to go into that, but let's just say that Joseph is getting a pretty big head. Joseph is getting, you know, Joseph is <coughs> he's getting an attitude. Think about this. God is revealing him dreams to Joseph. And Joseph is going out and telling his brothers, oh, I want you to know you're all going to bow down to me. And he, he goes even so far to say that to his father. Finally, the only thing that will shut the kid up is finally his father says, stop it. So is it any wonder that when Joseph goes out to check on his brothers, when they're out in a far off place tending to the sheep, they say, let's get, let's get rid of the runt. I mean, and, and this is coming because Joseph is being raised in a dysfunctional family. All of them are being raised in a dysfunctional family. They don't know what, what a healthy family is. They wouldn't know what it was if it knocked on their front door or opened the tent. <coughs> Jacob was dysfunctional because he was raised in a dysfunctional family. He was dysfunctional because he tried to fill his need for God with a wife, with a son, and they both failed. Now, I'm pretty sure that, that Jacob didn't see his dysfunctional behavior. Um, he was blind to it, and so are we. 
That's why we need the tools that God gives us. So I want to spend the rest of the time, and I only have about five minutes, to talk about what are the tools that God gives us to help us. Because chances are that we're in some sort of a dysfunctional relationship. And we're talking about families now, and maybe your family's not so dysfunctional. Maybe it's healthy, and that's great. <coughs> but that doesn't say that it can't become dysfunctional. So how, what are the tools that God gives us? Number one, he gives us his word and his spirit working with us. God has given us his word and his spirit to guide us and direct us. God has given us an outer and an inner witness. <coughs> in John 16, it says this, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, so that we have the Holy Spirit who will guide us into the truth. But he guides us through his word. And this is what Second Timothy 3 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us what it, realize what is wrong <coughs> in our lives. <coughs> It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us uh, to do what is right. Paul says really four important things, and I heard this a long time ago with Warren Wiersbe, and he said this. It's a great summary of this verse. God word, God's Word shows us what is right, what is wrong, how to get right, how to stay right. What is right, what is wrong, how to get right, how to stay right. That's what Paul's saying here. Now, that's a great summary of that verse, and I've always remembered that, because good preachers, when they do a good job, you'll remember something, it'll, you know, it'll impact your life. But that just shows us the importance of having God's Word and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us. That's the first tool we have. Secondly, we have His church challenging us and helping us. Notice the writer of Proverbs says this. This is Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Paul says in Timothy, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. They will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. <coughs> you are blessed. You are blessed if you have a friend who is wise and who sees you and sees the things you can't, the dysfunction you can't see, the sin that you can't see. It's apparent to them, but it's not apparent to you. They can see it. It's as clear as day to them, but you can't. You're in a fog. You can't see it. You are blessed if you have friends or a friend, hopefully more than one, that, you, that, that can see that. You are even more blessed if you have given them permission to speak into your life and say, hey, I'm seeing this. Talk to me about it. Let's, let's, figure this out because I'm seeing you go down a path that I just don't, I feel like it's going to hurt you and hurt your family and I just, I, 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 I can't as a friend let you, I wanted you let's discuss this, let's talk about this. You are blessed when you have somebody like that, but you are truly blessed when you allow them to speak into your life and you listen to them. You're blessed. So he's given us his word, his spirit, he's given us his church, right? And then number three, he's given us his son, as an example, which gives us <coughs> the power and the ability to change. Philippians 2 says this, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with a deep reverence and fear. 
Notice what he says. This is verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. <coughs> so first we have the ultimate example. What's the ultimate example of, 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 of love? Greater love is no one than this, that they would lay down their life for their friends. Who did that? Jesus on the cross. What's the greatest uh, example of forgiveness? The forgiveness that God gives us when we don't deserve it, and he says, I forgive you because of what my son did. What's the greatest uh, example of sacrifice? The greatest example of sacrifice is when Jesus got off of his throne, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for our sins, and took our place. He became the sacrifice for us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we have the greatest example, but not only that, because of Jesus Christ, and when we look to the cross, not only do we see that he did that for me, he loved me enough to do that for me. He gave him, he sacrificed so much that he would, and he forgives me. He, I, can, I can always come to him because he's always there with his arms open waiting for me to repent and waiting for me to come back. So he, he not only is the example, but he gives me the power, the ability to do what I need to do and the desire. We need both. Have you figured that out? You know, some people, uh, there are people out there that are great athletes. They have an incredible ability. But they have no desire. Right? And they can't. I mean, they, they could, they, 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 you say, oh man, if you just had the desire, if you just had the drive. They don't. And then the opposite is true. You have people who have a tremendous desire, but they don't have the ability. You have to have both. And what the Word tells us is we have both. In Christ, we have both. We have the power, and we have the, the, we have the ability, and we have the desire. He gives us both. And sometimes you wake up and say, I don't feel like forgiving. I don't feel like loving. I don't feel like sacrificing. And God, give me, the, give me the desire to do that. You have given me the example. Help me to see the example and help me get the desire to do what I need to do. Because I can't do this on my own. I can't manufacture. I can't just be Avis and try harder. I need an, an example. I need somebody else. And when I think about what he's done for me not only do i get the ability but i get the desire in christ we have been adopted into this new family we have a loving father who loves us completely and he doesn't pick and choose and he doesn't say i love you more than i love you you know there are so many people that today you could do a survey of most people and i i think this would be an interesting survey to do within the christian community uh many people in the christian community would say well, does god love this person more than they love you he said well you know I'm, i don't really perform well and i'm I, i'm not where i should be and you feel kind of your, your head's down because you were raised maybe in a home where your father said your love's conditional as to how you how you follow my what my expectations are that's not our father in heaven his acceptance of us has nothing to do with our performance he doesn't love you more or less than someone else because you do things better or you go to church more or you pay attention more or you pray more it's not about that we have a father who doesn't play favorites and when we know we're dearly loved because he's already demonstrated his love for us. It changes everything. And we'll finish with the verse we began communion with. You are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, you're adopted into a new family. You have a new father. The patterns that may have been laid down by your human parents can be broken today. You can be a different person. You can be a different parent. You can be. Because God sets you free. And I have friends, many friends, who were raised in horrible situations. And they have 
totally redemptive marriages and relationships because God has broken the pattern in their lives and because they are different people, because they look to the cross and they see Christ and they know they're loved and they don't have to go out and look for Rachel wake up in the morning and see that it's Leah because they have God. And he says, I love you and I'll never change. I sacrificed everything for you and I'd do it again in a minute if I needed to. And that will never change. And knowing that, we hold our heads up and we know we are loved. And we've been adopted into a family that will never end and never fail. That's the hope that we have. So no matter where you are in your relationship, what kind of family you were raised in, what kind of family you're in right now, it can change. And it changes with you seeing who you are in the family of God. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. So, Father, we've, <laughs> we've gone, gone on a <laughs> journey today. And we've looked at one man, but we really, hopefully, we've looked in, within and we've seen kind of what's going on in, in us and what's dysfunctional in us, what's toxic in us. Help us not to repeat the patterns, the past in our lives. Help us to break the patterns. And we know through the gospel, through the power of the gospel, we can break those chains. Help us to be the parents that you want us to be. Help us to be the people you want us to be. Help us, Father, to give up those vain pursuits because in the morning, it's Leah. Thank you that you are always there for us. And you will never fail us. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.